I have the honor of continuing our series in Romans this morning. How many of you have been blessed by that so far? Uh, at, per, uh, per Pastor Jeff's, uh, it, for those of you who don't know much about my dad, uh, the way my dad leads is um, when he gives a suggestion, that's actually a command. And he, uh, he suggested to me last week from the pulpit that I skip the rest of chapter 5 and just go to chapter 6. So I took his suggestion, and, uh, and today we'll be in Romans chapter 6. If you're, if you're taking down notes, I'd, I'd have you write down that old man. That old man. <laughs> How many of you realize that Romans is a hard mirror to look into? I'm going I'm to clarify this by saying Romans is not a hard book. We are hard-hearted. There's a difference. I imagine, that, I imagine that every book of the Bible to a certain person is going to be difficult. To the religious person, Galatians is a really hard book. To the person that wants to continue in their sin, Romans is a really hard book. But how many of you realize that it's the hard books you need to pay the most attention to? You know, my dad says it this way, and I guess I, I don't quite understand the reference, but he says it so confidently. He says, he says, when you throw a stone into a pack of dogs, it's the one that yelps that got hit. And there's part of me that's like, somewhere this originated in the South, and that made sense to them then. I don't know what it is, but I kind of, in my mind, I kind of get it, right? Like, if you're offended, I'm sorry, if you're offended, this message is for you. Does that make sense? How many of you realize that if you love the Lord, you love his law? If you love the Lord, you love his word. You know, the psalmist said it this way. He says the law of God is perfect. Perfect. Like some of us look at the the, the commands of the Lord as some sort of like heavy weight. Like, oh my gosh, you mean I can't just do what I want all the time? Listen, friend, you used to do what you wanted all the time. And it's what got you to the cross in the first place. Freedom is not best found by doing whatever you want. Freedom is best found in following the commands of Christ. See, actually, the overarching narrative of the first five chapters of Romans is ultimately that we're all kind of in trouble. Jews, Gentiles, everybody. We all have the same general problem. We have a major sin problem that we could not address ourselves. We had a major sin problem we could not address for ourselves. And so Christ, in his mercy, reached the mark that we could never reach for ourselves. He reached it for us. Paul reminds us that faith, not works, is what elevated Abraham. You know what's really interesting about the Old Testament when it talks about Abraham versus the New Testament? The Old Testament, because it's not just recording, like, it's not just recording a narrative, it's recording a history, right? So we see all of the bad stuff that Abraham did. We see, we see that Abraham gave his, gave his wife away twice because he was a coward. We see, you know, we see all of these moments where he tried to do everything in his own power. You know what's interesting about the New Testament? None of that's in there. You ever thought about that? See, when the New Testament talks about Abraham, it never says, well, you know, we got to quantify just a little bit by saying that Abraham was kind of dumb sometimes. No, the New Testament only ever talks about 
the one thing that God remembers about Abraham. It wasn't when he said no, it's when he said yes. It's not what Abraham didn't do, it's what he did do. And what he did do was he had faith. Because that's the thing that Elvis, you know, you want to know why we like the Old Testament version of Abraham more than the New Testament version? Because we love canceling people. I remember it was probably five or six years ago, the story about a young man who (laughs) ran into a burning building and like he saved like two or three kids. And it was like, it was all over national news. Like this kid was just being, he was about 25-ish years old. And he was kind of like, he was being kind of elevated as this heroic figure until somebody on Twitter decided to go back through his tweets. And they found that at like 14 years old, he like said some kind of racial slur. And so all of a sudden, instead of remembering this kid for the fact that he saved a couple of people, we trashed the kid in the media because when he was 14, he said something racist. We think that it's the negative things that actually that disqualify us, but God qualifies us by faith. Listen, I, I need to tell somebody in the room this morning, your history does not matter to God as much as you think it does. It might matter to the person behind you or the person in front of you or the person at the grocery store, but I've got to tell you that if it's God who qualifies, it's not your history that he's looking at. It's your future. He's asking you, are you willing to believe me even when you shouldn't? Can I tell you something? Abraham, I mean, one of the, one of the wildest things about Abraham, by the way, this isn't even in my notes. The wildest things about Abraham is that he heard a voice, maybe, and he followed it. You ever heard a voice when you're out in the woods and said to yourself, I should change my entire life and follow this voice? <laughs> Guys, Abraham was not a tent dweller. He was a city dude. For all we know, this man had never set up a tent before. The Bible doesn't record that, 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 that Abram had lived a life as a Bedouin or something like that, like he'd gone out in the desert until he was very, very familiar with desert life. It records that he was in Ur of the Chaldeans, which at that time was one of the largest cities in the ancient world. He was a city slicker, and he heard a voice one day that told him to go out into no man's land. Oh, and by the way, when you get there, I'm going to give all of this land to your descendants. How insane does that sound? What kind of psychopath says, yeah? I'm going to go over to Seb's house and be like, the Lord told me to walk your land, and uh, everywhere that my heel hits is mine now. So (laughs) I hope that's okay with you. Like, there were people living in Canaan. This isn't like an empty land here. He literally tells him, okay, leave your house, all your stuff, take Lot and your wife with you, go out into the wilderness and follow me. Oh. I mean, to be, I mean, and this is at a point, I need you to understand this, this is at a point in history where very few people even knew who Yahweh was. Imagine hearing a voice and changing your entire life. Sometimes we, I'll be honest, sometimes we don't give Abraham near enough credit. 
Because if some random voice claiming to be a God told me to leave everything behind me and go out in the desert, I'd be like, I rebuke whatever that is. And the name is something else. <laughs> wow. Maybe I'll say it this way. What man remembers, God forgets. And what God remembers, man forgets. Listen, for the person that's just been faithful and has been continuing to toil, I need, I need you to hear that your work is not unappreciated. How many of you have ever done a lot for somebody and it feels like no matter how much you do for them, they don't remember what you've done for them? Can I give you a little hope this morning that God remembers what man has forgotten? And that if it's God that ultimately rewards you, your reward is actually great. Let's get into the text this morning. This is Romans chapter 6, verses 1 to 14. It says, what should we say then? Should we continue in sin so that grace may multiply? Absolutely not. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Or are you unaware that all of us were baptized into Christ? Jesus, we're baptized. I'm going to say baptized a lot, okay? So just hear me out. We're baptized into his death. Therefore, we were buried with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too may walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in the likeness of his death we will certainly also be in the likeness of his resurrection. For we know that our old self, I love how the ESV says this as the old man, was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be rendered powerless so that we may no longer be enslaved to sin since a person who, is, who has died is free from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him because we know that Christ, having been raised from the dead, will not die again. Death no longer rules over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all time, but the life that he lives, he lives to God. So you too consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign. I'm going I'm to say it this way. Do not let... Do not let. This is a really important factor here. It's not saying that sin reigns in you. It's saying that any authority that you have given sin, you can take it back to. Do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its desires. And do not offer any parts. I need you to hear this. And do not offer any parts of it to sin as weapons for unrighteousness. But as those who are alive from the dead, offer yourselves to God and all the parts of yourselves to God as weapons for righteousness. For sin will not rule over you because you are not under the law, but under grace. Can we pray this morning? God, I ask you this morning to help me. Lord, help me to... Say what you want to say in this place. God, I pray that you would help me to, uh, to accurately, uh, accurately depict the scripture. And, and, and God, I just pray that every heart in this room this morning would be good soil. 
Lord, that we would, be, we would be people who are not just hearers of the word, but we would be people who are doers of the word. Jesus, we love you. We worship you. We thank you for all that you're doing in this place, and it's your name we pray. Amen. So after all of that about faith and Abraham and all of that, Paul begins to turn a corner here. For five chapters, he's been harping on the fact that no one is justified by their actions and that only by faith in Christ is a man justified. But it begs the question, as Paul addresses in verse 1, if grace is present, what do we make of sin? Like, if we think about it a different way, if Jesus' sacrifice on the cross paid the penalty for all of your sin, past, present, and future, why not just keep on sinning? If everything's already paid for and everything's already done, why not just keep doing the things that you were doing before except guilt-free? Because that's not how sin works. Many of Paul's greatest writings actually have a very similar arc. They begin with the majesty of God's plan, our inability to walk in it in our, in our past state, and God's mercy in sending Christ. But at a similar crossroads, this is always presented. If now we know about the plan of God in Christ, what is that, like, how now shall we live? How am I supposed to behave in the light of what I know about Jesus? In the same way that... If I'm, a, if I'm a single man who then gets married, I, there's this big ceremony. You know, my, my, my wife is in, the, you know, is in the white gown, right? And I'm just like pretending to be handsome and, you know, all of this stuff. And then, and then after the ceremony, in light of all of the stuff that we just said, all the stuff that we just talked about, that one time, oh my goodness, my dad, <laughs> he's featured very heavily in this sermon, by the way. Mostly in a good way. But uh, this is like my one chance, man. He <laughs> talks about me constantly in his messages. <laughs> but my dad is so funny. I, one of the things I was talking to a brother this morning about doing weddings and how different they are as a preacher. Because I, like, I, I write stuff down. I have notes. But I'm not like a word for word, like read it from the thing, you know, kind of preacher, as you might have noticed. And... <laughs> So as a preacher, when you get used to just kind of rapping a lot, it can be really difficult to like have a thing in front of you and literally just have to like read it the whole way, right? My, uh, my dad, when we were going through the vows, said to Lindsay, Lindsay, do you take Joel as your lawfully wedded wife? And I was like, the whole time I was just like, boy, I thought I was going to be the one that screwed this thing up. <laughs> And go back and talk about Romans chapter one again. Anyway, <laughs> oh man! <laughs> I need I need you to hear this. Paul never advocated grace. He never advocated grace, or excuse me, never advocated sin as a means of attaining grace. Meaning that he didn't say, if you really want grace, you have to really go out and sin a lot. Now, that may seem like a duh statement, like, yeah, of course, Pastor Joel, that seems crazy. But actually, one of the reasons why Paul specifically addresses this question in Romans chapter 6 is that there was, a, there was an early church, uh, I want to call it a series of heresies. But effectively, they were, they were all kind of like, 
The way I've, I've heard it described before is it was kind of like a, it was like a hydra of many heresies. It just like, it seemed like whenever one of the heads got cut off, there was like two more that came back, right? And it was called Gnosticism. Gnosticism, the, the word Gnostic means knowing. How many of you like having secret knowledge? You like knowing secret stuff. You're like, yeah, I know stuff that other people don't know. Now imagine if you claimed to have secret knowledge about Jesus and the Bible. The Gnostics actually believed that they had secret knowledge that even the apostles didn't have. That Jesus actually started coming to various people after his, uh, after his ascension and taught them things that he never actually taught his own apostles. But a lot of these, a lot of these Gnostics, it's hard to pin down kind of what Gnosticism really was because there are so many random heresies that all kind of got tossed into the same general heretical pot. One of those heresies was that it was believed that the only way to experience the fullness of God's grace was to sin as much as possible. And so they would practice a lifestyle of hedonism and then they would cry and weep at the altars in repentance because that's the only way to understand the grace of God. And because Jesus' sacrifice paid for all of our sins, past, present, and future, well, then I guess it doesn't matter what we do as long as we repent. Now, as insane as that might sound to you and me, the truth is, is that a lot of us live that same Gnosticism today. We're, 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 we're living just as we were or maybe even more than we were before we came to Christ. The only difference is, is that we can cry about it at the altar and everything's fine. Are you yelping yet? <laughs> Paul specifically, even after he talks about faith, reminds the believer, listen, just because Jesus sacrificed for you, it doesn't, the point was not just to forgive your sins, it was to change you. Grace, Grace is not a license to sin. It's the enablement to change. See, before Christ, you had no ability to change. Now you have no excuse to change. Paul's reminding the believer that you are not the same person today that you were before you came to Christ and were baptized. Listen, I need to tell somebody in the room, I got delivered when I got baptized. I don't believe that baptism is an empty event. I don't believe it's just a symbol because what I experienced in the waters of baptism can't be explained. It can't be explained that, you know, that, that, that I, went into, I went into the waters of baptism addicted to pornography and I came out not addicted to pornography. It can't be explained that I went in addicted to cigarettes and I came out not addicted to cigarettes. It can't be explained except that God delivered me. I came out a different person. The old Joel stayed in the baptismal tank. The new Joel got out. I'll be honest with you, I feel like somebody in the room needs to hear there is, a, there is as much power in baptism as, well, I should say it this way, there is more power in baptism than getting slain in the Spirit. There is a power in, in baptism that we have in some ways diminished because we don't have faith anymore in baptism. Because we've been told so calm. 
We've been told so often, it's, it's, it's not that important, guys. You don't have to. Oh. You know what bothers me? What grinds my gears? When people ask me, do I have to get baptized to be saved? Listen, why is it that we feel like the bare minimum is what we want to do? Why is that? What is it? Can I, maybe, I, maybe I ask you a different What is stopping you? Maybe that's a question we should talk about. Why are we so hesitant to do something Jesus did? Listen, Jesus is the one person in human history that didn't need baptism, and he did it anyway. Because he wanted to set a good example for you and for me. I really want to encourage somebody and hopefully convict you. If you are not baptized, if you're not baptized, get baptized, man. Listen, what Paul was saying right here, he literally says this. I'm going back to it, okay. Sorry, Mo. Okay, listen, this is in, this is in chapter, uh, excuse me, chapter 6, verse 3. It says, or are you unaware that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism. How were you buried with him? By baptism. What about if you weren't baptized? Can I maybe eh, just, 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 just gently throw something out here? Maybe you're not experiencing the newness of life because you haven't actually gone down the road to get the newness of life. Sometimes what happens, I didn't even plan this, Dad. I hope this is okay. <laughs> See, sometimes what happens is that there's a particular... There's a particular sacrament or, uh, or, or, you know, or, or something that gets overemphasized in certain like church movements, right? And so what we end up doing is because the pendulum swung over here and said, like, you have to be baptized to be saved. If you're not baptized in the name of Jesus Christ alone, not the Father, not the Son, not the Holy Spirit, Jesus Christ, you're not saved. And then what happens is another church movement starts in opposition to this church movement. And they go, whoa, hang on there, Scotty. Listen, man, baptism was cool and all, but remember the thief on the cross, bro. Did he get baptized? No. Well, then I guess that just proves it. <sighs> Listen, can I tell you what we do with the thief on the cross? We temper our doctrine. We don't change it. We don't say, just because the guy on this side, I've always been taught it's the guy on this side. Right? The guy on the right side was the worst. The guy on the left side, though, he's legit. Okay? <laughs> See, we don't say, just because the guy on the left didn't have the opportunity to come down off his cross, get baptized real quick, and get back on up there, that somehow no one else has to be baptized either. Let me put it this way. Does anyone in this room believe that God is foolish? Ooh. I would hope not. Is God so foolish as to create some kind of scenario in which he can't save whoever he wants to save? 
No, so he did what he did with the, 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 the guy on the cross because that was the opportunity. So if you're driving down the road, you hear a gospel message on the radio, you give your life to Jesus, and then you get into a debilitating car accident and you die. You're not going to get up to the gates and Peter's like, well, looks like we got the salvation prayer here, but I don't see the box check for baptism. What happened there, guy? <laughs> well, sorry, when, I, when my car careened off the road, it didn't go into a river, so I didn't get baptized. <laughs> I mean, I'm sorry, I'm in rare form today. <laughs> But what is absolutely evident in this passage, and Paul, the reason why he's making repetitive, I mean, like, you ever heard somebody say the same word in, like, one sentence, like, eight times, and you wonder, do you know another word? Could you use a different word there? You know, like, maybe just, like, shake it up so I can still pay attention? Paul is saying this word because the Holy Spirit is telling him to say it over and over and over and over and over so that you understand if you want newness of life, you got to go through the pathway that God created for it. How's everybody doing? Good? All right. All right. Just a few thoughts on this passage. Number one. You are dead to sin, dead to it. You know, most of my childhood and my teen years, this is where my dad factors in heavily. Um, my dad worked for UPS. And like, you know, I think that, I don't think that my dad hates UPS. Let's just be fair. Like, he does not hate UPS. I think it was a great job for a great, you know, for a number of years while he was, you know, he was learning and, and growing in ministry. And, and, and he did what he had to do to provide for our family. My dad hates brown, hates it. I can absolutely tell you, I mean, like, without looking at his closet, I bet there's not a single piece of clothing that is brown. We went to Men's Summit. My dad always buys the merch for Men's Summit. Be very faithful. Until this year. <laughs> we walked by the merch. No, no, this is no joke. We walked by the merch table, and, and, and I, grabbed a, I grabbed a hoodie. I'm not, I'm not really a brown guy, you know, like, I'm not like, a, that's not like my color, but I was like, oh, you know, this is a nice hoodie, comfy, cool design. Dad walks by it and he's like, I just can't do it. It's brown. Can't do it. Can't do it. See, when you work a demanding, never ending job like delivery, everything in your life is shaped around that job. You know, my holiday traditions were different than other people's holiday traditions. Because unlike most other dads that either got Christmas Eve off or they were at least able to be home on time, four, you know, five o'clock in the afternoon, six maybe, there were years where my dad didn't get home until 9 p.m. And so because of how much he was doing on Christmas Eve, he would, like, he would literally like rock a cup of coffee and we would open up all of our presents on Christmas Eve so that dad could sleep in on Sunday or on, on Christmas morning. Because he was too tired to do the 5 a.m. thing. He was too tired to do the whole like, oh, Santa's here. Sorry, I triggered somebody. <laughs> Listen, he did this because he had an obligation. 
I mean, obviously, you know, he was creating a life. But the, the thing I want to do is like, I don't want to equate necessarily UPS with sin, okay? But my dad will not be caught dead in brown anymore. Why? Because he put that old man away. He put that old lifestyle away. He put that old thing away. Listen. He wore it for 17 years, 8 to 10 hours a day as an obligation. And listen, all of us before Christ were under obligation to sin. We were bound to it. We were enslaved by it. See, there were some things that we did that were sin that we didn't really bat an eye at. And then there were some things we wished that we could stop doing, but we couldn't. But we did both on the regular because we didn't have the ability to change. And even changing one sin, most of the time we would exchange one sin for another. Even if we got rid of one thing, another thing had to replace it. Imagine it this way. At least when my dad was employed by UPS, he got paid. But what if he just showed up to the distribution center one morning, said, I can help, slipped on the browns, grabbed a truck, and just started going out and delivering stuff. He doesn't even at this point, I mean, like, at this point, he doesn't even at least get the benefit of being paid. He's just a crazy guy getting into a UPS truck and going and delivering stuff for a company he doesn't work for anymore. As ludicrous as that sounds, that is exactly what it looks like when a Christian picks up their old life and says, actually, this still fits pretty good. Actually, I don't hate brown as much as I thought I did. UPS has the most ludicrous shorts that they give their drivers in the summer. I feel bad for those dudes. I even felt bad for my dad when he was wearing them. That was like, that was when I was wearing cargo shorts. I was like, yikes. Nice, uh, nice shorts, buddy. <laughs> it's a long-legged drink of water. I'm sorry. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> I won't be here. <laughs> All right, Romans chapter 6. Listen to this. Okay. <laughs> Composure. Romans 6, 6 to 7. It says, For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be rendered powerless so that we may no longer be enslaved to sin since a person who has died is freed from sin. How many of you wish that your student loan debt would just go? You know, like, here's, a, here's an analogy. When you die, your debts die with you. There's not a single person in this room who would think to themselves, you know, I really need to set up a trust fund so that after my death, I can still pay my debts. Why would you do that, man? What are you doing to yourself? Listen, you are dead to sin. When you came, came. Some of us have heard this like courtroom analogy that I really have to like expunge a little bit. We've heard this analogy that, that salvation is like this, that you're in a courtroom 
And the judge is about to, to sentence you to a really, really long sentence. And then the, the, the son of the judge walks into the room right as you're being sentenced and says, I'll take the penalty. That is not the picture of salvation. Imagine that same courtroom. And instead of the son saying, I'm going to take your penalty, imagine if he came alongside you and simply said, I'm going to die with you. See, when Jesus took the penalty for your sins, and when you accepted him as your savior, you died with him. You are dead to sin, but alive in Christ. Then why is it, if we are dead, we keep sinning as though we're still beholden to a dead nature. See, the things that we do now, and I'm not, here's what I'm not telling you. I'm not telling you that one day you'll achieve sinless perfectionism. I'm saying that the things that we do now, we do on purpose. We do because we choose it, not because freedom is unattainable or unavailable. We excuse ourselves of it, we remind ourselves that God's grace is real, and it is. We remind ourselves that the penalty for our sin has already been paid, and it has. But I need you to be reminded today, you did not come to Jesus and not change. Because if you did, and you didn't change, maybe you should come back to Jesus a little bit more. Because what the scripture tells me is that when I come to Christ, I've been baptized, I've been filled with the Holy Ghost, I am a different person I'm not the same as I used to be. Thank God. I mean, you know, you know what I'm grateful for being a pastor in this community is that there are very few people that know me from like here from when I was in high school. Oh my gosh, guys, I was the worst. Like if you had, if you, if you were like, if you had gone to high school with me and walked in on a Sunday morning and saw me preaching from a platform, you'd either believe that a, wow, God does exist. What a miracle. Or B, you'd be like, oh, there's an open seat. Oh, hey, there's Joel. Okay. And walk right out the door. Because it would be unbelievable. And it's not because of anything that I've done. It's because Christ did it for me. Do you see what I'm saying here? Number two, you are a brand new creation. Brand new. Going back to Romans 6, 3 to 5 says, Are you unaware that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too may walk in newness of life. For if we had been united with him in the likeness of his death, we will certainly also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Galatians 5, 24 and 25 says it this way. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Meaning that if you're really following the Spirit, you're going to see a significant change in the direction and lifestyle that you lead. So, can I, can I tell you a story real quick? Good, I was going to anyway. So, much like a dog, 
as the book of Proverbs says, it says that as a, you know, a dog returns to its vomit, so a man returns to his own sin. Um, I was absolutely miraculously delivered of, uh, of cigarettes. Like I was like a, like a chain smoker. I was, I was smoking probably, oh man, I don't know, two packs a day, something like that. Um, and <clears throat> the Lord delivered me in baptism. And then a few years later, because I am really smart, um, I believed that, man, I have so beaten this addiction that I can start smoking cigars now. And so I started smoking cigars, and soon I was smoking the little cigarillos that are not really cigars, they're kind of cigarettes, but I was thinking to myself, still cool, we're okay. And then it just got back to the point where I was smoking cigarettes. And the second time that God took me through breaking this addiction, you know, I prayed, I was like, man, maybe I should get baptized again. <laughs> you know, like, Lord, you know, I need a miraculous deliverance here. And he says to me, he says, Joel, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to deliver you, but I'm going to give you a different pathway, a new routine of life. And so um, the Lord walked me through deliverance over the course of about three months. And one of the things that I had to do was I had to, I realized that this addiction, my whole life, was, you know, all of my time was spent thinking about when I can, you know, because as a, you know, to be honest with you, as a Christian who smoked, you know, I, I, don't, I don't think that there was a, probably a lot of people that came to me and said, man, you're in deep sin. But like, you get a lot of looks from people, just being honest. Like, and so I, I had to do everything that I could to smoke where I could. And so my whole life was just sort of like wrapped around this addiction. Like, when could I smoke? When could I get cigarettes without people from my church seeing me buying them? Like, when could I do this? When could I do that? And when, when the Lord started taking me through deliverance, I realized I have functionally created a life where this thing has become my God to the point where everything that I do, I'm thinking more about that than I'm thinking about Jesus. And so I, I literally started doing everything in my life differently. I took a different route to work. I left my house at a different time, so I wouldn't have time to show up at the shop early and smoke with all my buddies. When they would take break time, I wouldn't take a break. Because I realized if I go out there, like every other good smoker that I've always had in my life, they were going to offer me a cigarette. And at that point in time, I wasn't strong enough to say no to it. I had to literally relearn a rhythm of life that wasn't revolved around my sin. Listen, what Paul is talking about in Galatians where he says, if you walk by the Spirit, keep in step with the Spirit. What he's saying is, if you're really following Christ, where do you think Jesus is going? Is he going back into the same predictable patterns that always produce the same sinful results? Is that where he's going? Or is he taking you in a whole different life direction? Listen, somebody in the room that is struggling with besetting sin this morning needs to hear that Jesus forgives you and he loves you and deliverance is available for you, but you're also going to have to change where you go. If you want to stay free, you've got to stay out of those areas that produce the same thing every time. There are places, there are places, there are towns that I don't even like going into because I know what I associate with that town. I'm not saying be legalistic and never go to Priest River. I'm saying... <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I, 
I'm saying I think that what happens a lot of times is that people believe that because they're strong and they're set free and Christ is in them, that somehow that means that you get to go back to doing the same things you were doing, only this time you're not going to sin. You and I are going to sin, but we are not addicted to sin in the way we once were. We have to stop putting ourselves in predictable patterns that lead to predictable results. Number three, band, why don't you come up and help me close this out. Let Christ reign in you. Let Christ reign in you. Listen, again, therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its desires and do not offer any parts of it to sin as weapons for unrighteousness. But those who are alive from the dead, offer yourselves to God and all the parts of yourselves to God as weapons for righteousness. For sin will not rule over you because you are not under the law, but under grace. You know, I remember my first Dave Ramsey class. And I think my wife and I, we were like 25 or, you know, well, I was 25. She's significantly younger than me. Well, not significantly, you know what I mean, but like, <laughs> she's younger than me. <laughs> Easy. <laughs> I'm sorry. But I remember, you know, I remember, I remember hearing Dave, you know, talk about like, if you do this, 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 and this from the time you're 18 years old, that, you know, you'll be a millionaire by the time you're 60 or something like that. And I, I remember thinking to myself, thanks, Dave. Would have been nice to hear that seven years ago, right? But one of the things that Dave does that really, that really, um, that really hit me is he, he makes it clear what debt is and what your mentality has to be if you're going to get out of it. He likens it to you're a gazelle and your debt is like a lion. It's just trying to eat you alive. And so like his whole thing is he shows this, he shows this video of a gazelle actually escaping a lioness. I think it's a lioness. Either that, either that or a cheetah. It's a cheetah. Okay. Easy. Everybody correct the preacher. All right. <laughs> but so like, you know, you're in this class and of course he's hyping the crowd up, right? And, and like, and you see this, you see this gazelle get out of debt. And so his whole thing is that to get out of debt, you have to have this gazelle-like, what is it? Gazelle-like intensity. But can I, can I remind you that you had a debt that you could not pay. No amount of gazelle-like intensity was going to free you from it. Do you remember when you came to Christ? Like, listen, uh, you know, I, I'm sure there's some people out there that are like, well, I gave my life to Jesus when I was five years old and I've just stayed, 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 stayed the whole time. You know, I gave my life to Jesus when I was five years old and then I fell away from the Lord for a number of years. And I can honestly tell you, I didn't come back to Jesus because I was doing really, really well and I just wanted to become more awesome. I, I came back to Jesus because I was the worst and I didn't know how to get free because I had, I, had, I, had, I had operated in a lifestyle in which my debt was so great. You know, you know, you know that your debt, you have a lot of debt when like your debt is more than your mortgage. Like if your debt is more than your mortgage, you got, we got a real problem here, okay? That was my life. My life felt like, I felt like I couldn't operate like a normal person. 
I couldn't do things that normal people could do because I was so wrapped up in my addictions and I was so wrapped up in, my, in this lifestyle. I came to Christ because I didn't love life. I came to Christ because I know what his, what his word told me is that he would set me free if I came to him. I, I didn't come to him because I had everything and everything was incredible. It was because I finally saw the trap. I finally saw the trap and unfortunately I was in the trap when I saw it. But the reality is, isn't that how traps work? You don't see the trap until the trap has you. And it had me, man. And, and I remember, I remember giving my life over to the Lord. And here's the thing. How many of you are aware that the trap still exists for you? You're aware of this, yes? It is not impossible for a believer to fall back into sin. See, this is what Paul is saying in Romans 6. He's saying, listen, listen, listen. In light of everything that you know that Christ has done for you and in you and through you, don't go back. Don't go back. Man, sometimes we look we look through the lens of history in our lives before Christ. And how many of you realize that sometimes we, 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 we put on some rose-colored glasses. And we look back and we're like, yeah, you know, actually there were some fun times I had there. Yeah, because the Bible tells us that sin is fun for a season. And then all of a sudden it's not. And it's in the moments where it's not that you come back to Christ, but remind yourself, even in low moments, that there was a reason that you came to Jesus. It wasn't because you were incredible and life was amazing and you just needed to add some kind of ingredient to it and it would just be wonderful. Is that you were dead in your sin and you saw the trap, finally. And you saw the chains, finally. And you saw what the enemy had done to you, finally. And in the midst of that brokenness, Jesus came and he pulled you out of the trap. But friend, I want to tell you this morning, just because he pulled you out doesn't mean the trap doesn't exist anymore. In the book of Ephesians, Paul says it this way. He says, walk worthy of the call to which you have been called. Walk worthy of the call to which you've been called. I love this passage here. Offer yourselves to God and all the parts of yourselves as weapons for righteousness. You know what I've realized, Dad? I feel like I probably didn't, I, I didn't put this together until I was a little older. But I've realized that everywhere that I have been tempted and every place that I have found myself addicted is actually the place of my ministry. Let me put it to you this way. What was the devil trying to do through cigarettes with me? He was trying to steal my voice. I remember waking up, this is, the, this is no joke, I remember waking up one morning and my college roommate and I, uh, his, my, my roommate's name was Tom. My college roommate and I used to go and, uh, you know, we were like complete like college dude guys with like, you know, go into a stairwell with a guitar and, you know, be weird. Anyway, uh, <laughs> we would sing in stairwells in our, in our dorm. And I remember waking up one morning and I, I could not sing. 
like my, my voice was so hoarse. I was so, I was so messed up. And I started crying because I was like, man, I can't sing anymore. And I was absolutely, number one, I was devastated. Number two, there was such a great fear in me that I would never sing again. But that was actually one of the first moments where I was like, I gotta quit smoking. And I, 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 you know, at the time, I didn't necessarily have much of an idea about ministry or anything like that. I just knew that God had given me a gift and I was destroying it. I was killing it. And every other area that I have found myself where the enemy attacks me is actually an area that later on in my life, God would use as a piece of the ministry that he had for me. Friend, I'm going to tell you that the place that the enemy wants to destroy you is the very place that God wants to use you. This is why Paul says, listen, stop turning over the best parts of yourself as weapons of unrighteousness, but realize that what God wants to do is he wants to take the plan of the enemy, which is destroy you, and in the very place where he tried it, that's the place where he's going to empower you to destroy the works of darkness. That which the enemy once used against you to condemn and enslave you, God is turning into a weapon against the kingdom of darkness. Here's where I'm wrapping up. I, wanna, I want you to hear this. This is, a, um, this is an excerpt um, from a, uh, basically from a spy. You know, in, in the Roman Empire, during the early church, there was a lot of speculation and sometimes there were just lies. Like they didn't really know what to make of these Christians. Like they would, you know, because of, you know, talking about eating the body and the blood, they would, they would claim we were cannibals. Uh, because we only believed in one God, they called us atheists, interestingly enough. But this is, let's just listen to this. It says, in 25 AD, Athenian philosopher Christian Aristides reported on the sexual practices of the Christian church to his king. He said, they, Christians, do not commit adultery or immorality. Their wives, O king, are as pure as virgins and their daughters are modest. Their men abstain from all unlawful sexual contact and from all impurity. Listen to this. In the hopes of recompense that is, in, that is to come in another world. When I first read this, when I first read this, what blew my mind is that to be quite honest with you, that's not really what the church looks like a lot. Can we be real? Like, most of the time you hear a report about somebody out in the world, it's, you know, this leader fell, or this person started living with their girlfriend, or, you know, this person's sleeping with this person, but she's also sleeping with that person. It's like, what shook the Romans and the Greeks they were astounded that Christians actually acted as though they had something to gain by obedience to God. He recognized that like this life is a literal vapor. In the grand scheme of things, that's how fast it goes. And in the meantime, what God is asking of us is act like what you're doing right now actually matters. Act like what you're doing right now actually matters in the grand scheme of things. Act like what you're doing right now is actually either storing up treasure in heaven or not. Act like it's, it, it's making a difference somewhere. Because it actually is. Whether you realize this or not, it's not that, it's not that your salvation necessarily, because of what we know about, the, about, the, about the, the sacrifice of Jesus, the issue is not salvation. The issue is you realize 
you realize you're going to live forever with what you make here. Why do we live as though Jesus is just some sort of peripheral, peripheral part of our lives? Like none of this really matters as long as I go to church and I'm an okay person. It's like, friend, I gotta tell you, what you do here will literally, I mean, like, I, I, I hesitate to be the guy that's echoing Maximus, right? But like, what you do in life is your eternity. It doesn't just echo in eternity. It is your eternity. One of the scar- I mean, I'll be honest with you. One of the scariest parables in the Bible ought to be the parable of the talents. Where to one he gives five, to another he gives three, to another he gives one. And then it says he comes back and he, he asks them, okay, what did you do with what I gave you? And to the one with three, he says, great job. You made three more. In the, in the parable, the meanest, he actually says, now I'm going to make you the master of cities because you did okay with money. Then to the other one, he says, great job. You made two more. Now I'm going to make you the master of cities. And then to the last one who just buried it, he says, kick this guy out of here. Like, throw him out where there's some weeping and gnashing of teeth. And give it to the guy who has six. Man, friend, do we understand that Jesus really does care about how we live? This is what Paul is saying in Romans 6. He said, listen, I'm going to sum this all up. Romans 1 through 5, he's saying, you couldn't do it on your own. Nobody could do it on their own. No one can do it on their own. Jesus paid it all. What you have to have is faith. And then in Romans 6, he says, and now live worthy. Live worthy. In the light of everything that you have seen, in the light of everything that has been done for you, in the light of everything that God has given to you, live like it matters. Live like it matters to you. Does that make sense? See, the dichotomy of the cross is that Jesus paid the price for all of your sin, past, present, and future, and yet calls the believer to walk worthy of the call of God and not fall back into sin that Christ died to rescue us from. Can I pray for you this morning, church? Jesus, I thank you for your work on the cross. I thank you that it wasn't in vain. I thank you you didn't die to no purpose. I thank you that what you did for us, and I pray that what you did for us, we would be reminded to live worthy of your sacrifice. We couldn't earn it. We don't deserve it. But I thank you that really all you're asking of us is live worthy of something you couldn't earn for yourself. Pay attention. Pay attention to what I've asked you to pay attention to. And God, this morning, I thank you that it is not impossible because you not only sacrifice for us, but you live within us. We are not doing this on our own. We're not doing it in our own righteousness. We're doing it with you, living on the inside of us. The same spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead resides within us. God, I pray this morning that we would be a people that would walk worthy of the calling to which you have called us. In Jesus' mighty name we pray.